Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Back, Dr. Say. Uh, I'm going to announce the topic for next week also. Are Lethbridge children lagging behind the province and Canada in kindergarten performance because of inadequate funding and support? The speakers will be Robin Give and Levon Rideout, the moderator, Bev Mundell Atherstone. You can find all the upcoming sessions on the SACPA website, sacpa.ca, and also listen to past sessions on audio or as a podcast. We also have a suggestion box in the lobby for ideas and comments. For this question period, I will invite people to ask questions. I will also take written questions with your name. Keep your comments brief and limit yourself to one or two questions. After you're finished your question, please step away from the mic and you can return to your seat. No questions from the floor, please, at the mics on the side. And again, Dr. Robert Say, why are gay-straight alliances in Alberta schools political hot potatoes? Hello, my name is Tad Mitsui, and thank you very much for coming. Thank you. First conversation we had at the table is, why do we have to legislate teenagers' club? If I should start a kosher sushi club in my high school, do I have to ask school board to legislate it? Why the legislation? We don't live in Russia. I, my impression is, I'm, I'm certainly no expert on the, the legal aspect, but my impression is that Blakeman's original legislation was because uh, students were being refused. Uh, and uh, they, were, they came forward to the Liberal Party and uh, they decided to uh, promote you know, the, the act that would guarantee that students could have uh, the clubs established if, uh, if they wanted them. Hi, my name is Brooke Cully, and uh, before my question, I just wanted to, uh, for further information, there was a, the Rocky Mountain Civil Liberties Association in Calgary had a couple of public consultations. They're in the process of writing a report that's due March 2nd. If anybody wanted to go to that website and look at all the presentations, there were lots of presentations um, from the Jewish Congress, from... Uh, parents, teachers, all organizers of GSA. So that's very informative right now, and you can influence their decision. My question is, the bigger picture of this, are we going down a constitutional battle about the right of religious schools to get public funding for public education? Uh, again, you know, my, my specialty is psychology, but uh, it, it does seem to me that, uh, yes, you know, uh, freedom of religion, uh, inevitably there's going to have to be a, a high uh, court decision kind of balancing freedom of religion with freedom from discrimination and to find out, you know, how can we, how can we integrate and respect both of those at the same time. My name is Mark Gettle. 
I think one of the oppositions or the belief of sex education in schools is the fact that if you teach people or children to have sex or if you teach children about sex, they're going to start having sex earlier. Now, I think also the opposition to these um, these alliances is the fact that there's probably a belief out there that if you have them that you're going to incite or get children to become gay or whatever. Could you address that? Is, is that a problem? Why there's so much opposition? I, I think you identify a really common misconception that, yes, uh, some people are concerned that uh, discussion of sexuality and uh, sexual minority issues might may somehow cause uh, some young people to adopt a sexual identity they might not otherwise have adopted. And in terms of the psychological literature, uh, I, I think it's extremely conclusive that there's absolutely no evidence that that has ever happened. Basically, uh, the, the process of identity development, it really seems to be driven by a person's uh, internal sort of felt sense of to whom am I attracted? Where, where is my erotic and my romantic desire? And uh, having information really just facilitates a process of coming to terms with what is my inborn constitutional sexual orientation, and can I accept it, and can I, can I feel proud and happy about who I am? Maria Fitzpatrick, and thank you for the information you've shared. Uh, I guess my first is a thought, and uh, you shared in your presentation that uh, uh, where there are groups uh, in the school, that all of the students actually... Uh, do better. Um, I'm a mom. I'm a grandmother. Uh, I want to do anything that's going to encourage uh, my children or grandchildren to do better in school. So I guess my question would be, why isn't there one in every school? When you talk about only 40% as the highest number in schools, uh, is there not, I guess, um, in psychology or in um, university when you're teaching people to be teachers, uh, would there not be something to encourage your students? Um, uh, clubs like uh, GSAs, they do that. So why isn't it happening? I, I don't actually do teacher training, but I do know that uh, at the U of L, at least, uh, there is a significant component of uh, minority awareness and uh, cultural sensitivity. So it, it is there. There is a component that, that deals with uh, sexual and gender minorities. Uh, and um, yeah, I, I've spoken with my colleagues a little bit about what this involves. And um, uh, as far as actual establishment of GSAs, usually it's an, an initiative of the students. You'll, you'll see that the legislation that we have, usually it puts the onus on the students to take the first step. Although it, it, it has happened otherwise, I've spoken with some teachers who, who indicate that really they kind of took the first step and helped the students along. So it, it can go both ways for sure. I'm Mary Shellington. Thanks, Robert, for your presentation. Uh, I said at the table that uh, I'm involved at McKillop United Church with the Justice, Peace, and Social Action Committee, and we had uh, a GSA uh, session, social forum. And the teacher, who is a math teacher and leads the group, uh, uh, Alana, and Robin, who was is the counselor and was the person who initially formed the uh, GSA group at uh, the collegiate LCI. Um, for Robin, she formed it because a student asked for it. Uh, and it's grown. Uh, they 
they were initially, they said they were kind of in the back room, kind of a dark little room, and uh, it became better known and accepted, and and uh, teachers were encouraged to take a logo and put it on their door that they were supportive of this program, and many of them had done that. Uh, but interesting, um, the when when the media came out with this uh, report, there was some reaction from the school board, I suppose, or whatever. Uh, but one of the issues that concerns me is that some schools don't don't have a right to do that. How can we help those students? Because the students at LCI were concerned about the the students from the Catholic school who who wanted to be part of a group. How can we help that ha- happen in some way? Uh, at least support them. Uh, have you any suggestions for those of us who are concerned about those students and their risks for suicide and so on? Um, I, I have heard also uh, from uh, personal contacts who are involved in Lethbridge GSAs that, yes, this, this is a concern that the students have, that their friends at the Catholic schools could really use some support and uh, they, they don't feel that they have it. So, you know, it's, it's a great thing that uh, the students themselves are trying to reach out to, to their, their friends at other schools. I've also heard at our table that there's an initiative to start a citywide uh, GSA. Oh, okay. So, so hopefully this will be a really valuable resource for those, those students in the, the, the city area who, uh, you know, need resources, can use support, and yet don't have, don't have them in their own schools. Maybe you can tell us. Mary. <laughs> to like knock that question out of the park that yes I have a response hi everyone my name is Megan Fester and right now I'm doing a practicum through the city of Lethbridge and their CMARD initiative coalitions for municipalities against racism and discrimination and my project is to start a community gay straight alliance so thank you for the information presented it was so affirming of just like wow because homeless youth particularly or rural youth who don't have access to GSAs that this is a gap in in um, and so we're trying to see what's possible so there will be one starting at the boys and girls club which can be open to um, youth who don't have access in their school setting. And um, yes, also to kind of pass the mic along, I don't have a question, but thank you for showing some expert, and the statistics are really interesting, but I was sitting at my table with two fellows who are from a GSA and thought, oh, this is another type of expert on this information. So with that, I will pass the mic over to my good friend, Thomas. Uh, Hi, I'm Thomas, and I'm with the Chinook High School GSA. Um, Well, (laughs) I would say that you were definitely on point with everything you said and all of your information, but it is definitely important to spread uh, experiential, I suppose you would say. I'm not even sure if that's a word. (laughs) Yeah, okay, good. Uh, information. Um, A GSA helps, it doesn't just provide support and stuff, well it does obviously, but it also can help students discover who they are. Our our GSA at our school uh, puts up posters every now and then for different awareness weeks, Uh, like a store... um, a while ago, we did asexual awareness, and 
a girl had been heard commenting that she was confused about herself and she didn't understand why she wasn't feeling sexual attraction to anybody. But because we had put up those posters, one of her friends had said to her, well, maybe you're this. And I feel like a GSA is could do so much for schools and it should definitely be in more places. And I have nothing else to say. <laughs> I'm Phil Jorgensen. Uh, the question was, uh, what was it? Why is there so much commotion about this? I th of the uh, legislation that came in and failed in November. And uh, for myself, it was that uh, the Alberta legislature back in 2013 had uh, legislated for schools a plan called Alberta's Plan for Promoting Healthy Relationships and Preventing Bullying. It's in Hansard, April 3rd. Uh, M M MLA's Klimchuk and Dirks presented it. So <clears throat> I, for one, was very surprised when Jim Prentice appeared on the scene and uh, he announced he wanted GSAs in the school whereas this uh, report from three years before sort of depicted an alliance of some uh, gays and lesbians and some Muslims and some Native Americans and some people that are too fat and some that are too scrawny. And, uh, uh, and they would uh, do this. And just being... Uh, asked or told that you had to appear with whatever slur or action had been taken. Uh, that was, But the, the big thing here is that it's about building relationships. Uh, uh, we're concerned about uh, the person who did the bullying. Um, and maybe there's some lack of uh, self-esteem, self-respect that allows him to do this. So how to, uh, so the idea is to work towards helping him uh, uh, respect others and he'll become respectable with it also. Um, the, uh, do you have a question, sir? Okay. Uh, one more sentence. Uh, what gay straight is willing to do is to make alliances with every kind of victim of bullying. But, um, and they've learned how in summer camp to uh, kick ass, as they put it, and, and to uh, uh, use guerrilla tactics. Uh, but if you were, I would like you to comment on this earlier legislation, if you're familiar with it. Um, but if you were a young Muslim teenager in high school, would you be um, satisfied with turning your problems over to Gay-Straight Alliance? That's the most urgent and dangerous kind of bullying going on right now. 
It's a, a danger to our society. The biggest. So, so if I could, is, is uh, the previous is the G GSA legislation going to supersede the previous anti-bullying legislation, and is this still inclusive? Uh, in terms of that specific legislation, I'm sorry, I'm not familiar with it. Um, it does seem to me that, uh, in a sense at least, the GSA legislation, uh, it does create a, you know, groups particularly focus on the issue of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender uh, rights and uh, school climate with respect to those people. Um, but certainly some schools do opt for, you know, the other, the other titles. We went over the, the sort of the Human Rights Club. So uh, um, I, I'm, I'm wondering, I guess the question is to do with sort of the immersion of different rights and issues within a sort of a, a combined club. Is that not as effective? Uh, and um, honestly, I, I haven't uh, seen anything written about that. My name is Frank Toth. I was already asked outside what question I'm going to ask. I just got back from Arizona, and a tr real tragedy happened all the way around. And the question I want to, I'm not going to elaborate or speak, but uh, a child that's born into a very religious family, I made a mistake already broaching that question at my at my table and it happens to be an ex-preacher there that uh, I offended already. <laughs> Sorry, Scotty. But anyway, anyway, uh, what depth of connotation does religion work in, in, in this in this very important question that our five percent White Knight premiers already turned down. So religion in terms of uh, how does it impact on people's development it, of an identity? Yeah. or Yes. Uh, it's interesting. You know, certainly uh, religion can be, uh, for some people, as important a component of identity as sexuality. Uh, you, you see groups like the American Psychological Association uh, about five or ten years ago, they, they took a very strong uh, stance mm, against what you often hear referred to as reparative therapy or uh, conversion therapy, so sort of psychological practices which are aimed at getting a person to change their sexual orientation. Uh, so they were very strongly opposed. Most of the medical and psychological associations in North America are. But uh, if you look at their more recent position, it's, it's interesting that they seem to have moved a bit away from that because they, uh, they are, I think, trying to be more respectful of uh, the importance of religion and spirituality for some people. So, uh, you know, certainly it's, it's, again, it's a difficult balancing act. We talk about it in terms of the courts and how will they balance uh, the importance of spirituality and the importance of uh, personal identity and, and freedom from discrimination. But uh, in terms of the identity development process, you, you do see people for whom uh, they interpret their spirituality in a way that uh, they believe is incompatible with, with certain sexualities. And um, uh, it's interesting to see in the United States, uh, there are, I believe, now four or five states which have specifically outlawed these reparative therapies for minors. 
so California, New Jersey, and a couple of other ones, and it's it's on the the agenda in, in several state legislatures. So, uh, yeah, it, it is. Uh, it's a really important variable, I think, and uh, it's one that uh, um, continues to be. Okay, turn your phone off. <laughs> okay, I am. Um, I'd like to preface my question with, oh, my name is Heather Oxman. I'd like to preface my question with a little bit of an imaginative. I know, I'm keeping it short, but we have time. I'd like you to think of a Venn diagram with three overlapping circles. At the top is a circle labeled identity. On the left is a circle labeled power. On the right is a circle labeled voice. So they're all connected. In the intersection between identity and power is the question, what matters to me? In the intersection between identity and voice is how do we connect? And in the in the other intersection is the question, who am I? Those three questions no matter whether you're talking about gay-straight alliance, Jew-Muslim alliance, Christian-Mormon, Christian-anybody alliance, those are the three fundamental questions people wrestle with, with from the time they're tiny to the time they're ancient. But when you're an adolescent and you're wrestling with your hormones... Sexual orientation, no matter whether you're thinking, I'm attracted to her and I'm attracted to him, or I'm attracted to nobody, I have no sexual feelings, or I'm really attracted to her. Can we have a question, please? I know, it's coming. Those are really hard times. So my question is, where, where does legislation belong in that dialogue. I believe it belongs nowhere. But then, what, by what rules can anybody in a school refuse a student the service of helping to answer those questions? Uh. The role of legislation, you know, I think given what we've, we've seen, the statistics about the, you know, the really powerful challenges that uh, sexual and gender minority students face uh, and uh, just how negative the impacts of bullying uh, can be, homophobic bullying for these students, I think uh, the legislation, you know, I, it would be wonderful if, if there were no need for it, but unfortunately the, the, the facts, the real-world experiences that, that we have so far 
show that uh, some schools uh, are reluctant to provide these safe spaces and to allow students to just come together and to try to advocate and educate and uh, connect with one another. So, um, yeah, I guess it, uh, to me, um, the, the role of legislation, it's... Um, it's enhancing freedom. It's, it's enhancing the, the students' ability to do what they want to do and uh, without harming anyone else and um, uh, doing something that, in terms of mental health, my, my area is uh, almost uh, you know, undoubtedly completely positive and powerfully so. I, th I think he answered it as best he could, being that he's not a legislator. My name, my name is Donald Bankson, and thank you very much for your presentation. I had just two quick questions to ask of you. Uh, I think I've been familiar with the term GLBT, but in your discussions you've appended the letter Q, and in my experience, uh, the letter Q stands for queer, and that has usually, in my sense anyway, been a disparaging remark, and was wondering why that would be added. B, I was wondering how Q differed from any of the four previous terms. Are you adding anything new? You, I, I think you, you identify an interesting point. Uh, definitely the, the Q, uh, particularly for sort of the elders in the LGBT community, the, the word Q can be really problematic. And definitely it was uh, historically used much more often as a pejorative, as a slur. Uh, when, when it is used uh, more recently, uh, what you often hear as an explanation is that this is an effort to reclaim that term. So uh, whereas, uh, for instance, African-Americans, sometimes uh, you will hear them trying to reclaim the N-word. Uh, but uh, so queer, uh, for some people in the broad LGBT community, uh, it's reclaiming and sort of transforming a word that was used as a slur and trying to make it into uh, uh, an expression of pride. Also, in terms of does it add anything, uh, arguably. Uh, I think certainly it's usually used as an umbrella term. So instead of the big alphabet soup of LGBTQ, TTI, A, whatever, it's queer. So you could use it that way. Uh, what you do find is that some, uh, especially for uh, the, the, the sort of the new generation, the new cohort of uh, young people um, who identify with some kind of sexual or gender minority, you have uh, some individuals who sort of... Uh, identify as being somewhere in the mix, but they don't want a particular label. They prefer something very broad, very fluid, like queer. So you do often, well, not often, you, it's uncommon, but you do see, I think, some people who uh, prefer to say, you know, I refuse to label myself. I, uh, I may be sort of sex and gender minority, but I'm not going to pick any of these other labels. So it, it, it can serve that specific purpose, too, I think. And this will be our final question, and then, well, final from the, the floor, and then I'll have one question for you. <laughs> Reserving the right of the moderator. Bev Mundell-Atherstone, um, thank you very much for your talk. 
I mentioned that uh, actually I taught in the Faculty of Education, taught the first cohort of counseling students in the graduate program where you are now. Okay, um, I don't think you really answered the question why having gay-straight alliances in schools is such a political football, and perhaps you can't, or perhaps you have research on it. But um, it's, it seems to me it's uh, our particular North American way of wanting uh, that comes from our, perhaps, the Puritans who settled here initially 400 years ago, who saw people as a duality, male-female, and that our purpose here was reproduction. So why do we reject all of the evidence that shows that our sec- our biological sexuality can be just un- can be just as diverse as our height, our weight, our color of eyes or IQ? Why does sex or gender have to be male, female? And perhaps our political, it's become a political football because particular groups, interest groups within our population would like to see it remain thus and reject the fact that all over the world, other countries, and even within our own, people see that there are a variety of biological and identity genders. Okay, uh, kind of a complex question. Um, as far as why are GSAs a political football, I, I apologize. That was not really my intended title. I, it, it got added, I think, somewhere along the way. So I, I really didn't want to kind of go into the political dimension. I'll leave that to every individual to, to come up with their conclusions about about that. Uh, you had mentioned uh, th- the idea that, uh, or I believe you did, that GSAs are kind of a North American phenomenon and that perhaps in other parts of the world... Um, Okay. Okay. Um, I think that's arguable. Uh, there, we did touch on the the um, survey research from the United Kingdom, and uh, what you find there is that the rates of verbal abuse and harassment are very similar to what we have in North America, uh, and they actually lag behind us in terms of uh, the formation of uh, positive, uh, supportive student groups. So. Maybe the UK is not a great example. Uh, you know, certainly we can think of other countries in Africa that have had terrible struggles with, uh, well, where um, LGBTQ people have had terrible struggles with acceptance and uh, where sexual contact has been made illegal with, with serious punishments. Um, Russia recently and the, the situation for sexual and gender minorities there. So, you know, it's sort of a rejecting... Uh, Philosophy or worldview. I, I don't think it's a North American uh, phenomenon, and whether whether that's due to sort of a dichotomous perspective, I'm not sure. But certainly, there are unfortunately many possible routes to discrimination, and uh, they they crop up all over the world. Okay, my question. Uh, I'm wondering if you know has this have GSAs been handled through legislation in other provinces. In other words, do other provinces have legislation about the formation of GSAs in schools? Great question. Uh, I did try to look into this. Unfortunately, I didn't find a lot of material uh, yet. I know that in Ontario, uh, the McGuinty government, uh, prior to the current premier, did bring in some legislation that would have made uh, it it look quite similar to Blakeman's uh, 
uh, Bill 202. And uh, unfortunately, I couldn't find how far that's progressed, so uh, I'm not certain. Uh, I would be really interested to know uh, what was their experience, especially with the religious schools and uh, what, what happened there. I'm sorry, I'm sorry I can't answer in more detail. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Say, and thank you all for coming to SACPA, and we will see you next week.